Hey, Butter No Parsnips listeners, this is Seth here with an important message. Butter No Parsnips is celebrating Women's History Month with a free t-shirt giveaway on Instagram. Throughout this whole week, we're going to be making posts that celebrate women in lexicography. All you have to do to enter is make sure you follow us on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast, share at least one of those posts to your own story, and tag us. It's very important that you tag us, otherwise we won't know that you shared the post and you won't be entered to win. And if you do that, that means that you, yes you, could win a t-shirt designed by our very own Iris Edmonds, who also designed our logo. Happy Women's Month, and remember, quote, the dictionary is not the last word on what defines a woman. The word belongs to each and every woman, however they define themselves. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hey, everybody out there. I'm Emily Moyers. I'm Kyle Imperator. And you're listening to Butter No Parsnips. Uh, it's, uh, ASMR. Oh, I was thinking like uh, like NPR, you know. ASNPR. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like when you listen to Carl Castle eat pickles. Oh, yeah. But like turned up and like surround yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's something everyone pickles. wants, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's, no, speaking of be a, things everyone wants. Sorry, Kyle, you go ahead with your joke. No, yours was much a much better transition. <laughs> Kyle, listen, before it gets any later, uh, I believe you have a word for me. Yes, Emily, I have a word for you today. You're going to love it. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Emily, your word today is cavil. C-A-V-I-L. Cavil. One L, so not Superman. Not Cavill, no. <laughs> Although it has been spelled C-A-V-I-L-L. Um, oh, okay. But he pronounces it Cavill. No, I he think. does not. I'm pretty sure. Kyle. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Do you know how many interviews for The Witcher I've watched? I'm obsessed with that oh, show. I he says Cavill. in The Witcher. You're right. So then <laughs> it's just like Henry. Okay. That's his name, right? Just, yep, you got it. Cavill, but one L, Cavill. Is this a noun? So it can be used as a verb or a noun. Crazy. A verb? Yeah. To Cavill? Yes. To Cavill, but also a Cavill. Also a Cavill. And H Cavill. <laughs> and H Cavill. <laughs> Boy. I just haven't got a clue, Kyle. Can you give me a hint? Actually, before that, can I have the language of origin? Because I don't even know what that is either. Absolutely. Cavill comes from Latin. Really? Uh, Yes. Through French. Sure. So, Cavill in French? (laughs) Uh, I actually don't know what it is in this same sense but sure it could very well be (laughs) all right give me a clue kyle emily your one word clue today is empty empty but it's a verb or a noun okay and it comes from latin that information it didn't help me as much as i'd hoped it would yeah i remember how i said earlier that my hints have been (laughs) worse than yours every time (laughs) 
I was thinking of today's hint when I said that. Oh, good. So I should just ignore that, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. So I think I'm going to go for the verb. I think to cavil mm-hmm. means to to drill a little hole in the bottom of the bucket so all the oh. water runs out. <laughs> So specific. <laughs> so specific. And then it empties. Th- that <laughs> verb was created for the flex tape commercials. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then a cavil is the little is the little drill that you do. Oh, it's the drill. It's, it's not it's, even the hole. It's not a power drill. It's like an egg beater drill where you like crank a little handle. <laughs> wow. Emily, you are incorrect. I'm sorry to say. Oh man, really? Yeah, I I know it's crazy. All right, I'll I'll relent. So listen, Emily, cavil as a verb means to criticize for petty or frivolous reasons, or to object, dispute, or find fault unfairly or without good reason. And you said empty. <laughs> empty. You'll see why. You'll see why. Okay. <laughs> but to to give like shallow insults. Yeah, like quibbling is often used as a synonym for sure. caviling. Caviling. As a noun, it can mean a petty or trivial objection, or it could be the raising of trivial objections is a cavil. Yeah, like a quibble. Yeah, I see the yeah. I see the link. Yeah. So like when I say, you know, tomato tomato, that's yeah. a cavil. I get it. Only when I say it. <laughs> Only when Kyle says it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's super interesting. But it comes from Latin. Yes. That's the craziest part to me because this does not look like a Latin word at all. So Emily, cavil comes from the old French cavier, which means to mock, to make fun of, to make a joke about. Sure. How is that spelled? C-A-V-I-L-L-E-R, like caviller. Caviller. Which caviller is actually a person who cavils. That is the (gasps) English. Yeah. (laughs) That comes from the Latin cavilor, which means I jeer, I mock, I satirize. And cavilor ultimately comes from cavus, which was Latin for hollow and could be used figuratively in the sense of hollow speech. Sure. And now your hint is coming together. It's coming together. It's an (laughs) empty gesture, I guess. An empty thought is a cavil. Cavus also is where we get our cave from, Emily. (gasps) Whoa! Yeah. Because it's hollow. Because it's hollow. <laughs> Sometimes, I guess, uh, there are caves that are just well, solid, you know, filled with... <laughs> I think that's called a mountain, Kyle. <laughs> oh. or, just, or just a big rock. <laughs> wow, you're so smart, Emily. <laughs> so the Latin cavilor had sort of a sister as well, Emily, in the Latin word calvor, meaning I deceive. Oh, does this have a connection to a word I might know? It may possibly, Emily. Oh, does this have a connection to the word calumny? Which it means does. like slander? Uh, you got it, Emily. Wow. <laughs> Bring it all home. So for some of our listeners out there, you may already know, but Calvor traveled through Old French to become our modern day calumny. 
which, as Emily said, was a slanderous accusation. If you have not yet listened, Emily did an amazing retrospective on the word calumny. So go give that a hear. It is wunderbar. It is. And it's a good one to listen to right now uh, for reasons that you might find out soon. (laughs) You just may find out soon. Hey, Emily. I thought to myself, what would be a better way to celebrate Women's History Month, i.e. Ladies Month, than walking the trail... Than to stop calling it Ladies Month. Than to start (laughs) calling it Ladies Month, exactly. (laughs) And and I I decided I wanted to walk the trail parallel to to the one that you blazed for us with calumny, Emily. (gasps) Wow. Wow. I was inspired by you, you I'm so excited. (laughs) That's one of my favorite episodes we've done. If you guys haven't listened to it, it's a good one. It really, it really is great. So the connection between Cavill and Calumny actually goes back pretty far, if you believe it. Oh. An early entry for Cavill in a 1570 English to Latin dictionary by the lexicographer Peter Levins, which was titled Manipulus Vocabulorum. (gasps) had an entry that translated a cavil as calumnia. Wow! Yeah, (laughs) so they just just defined it as that. They're the same. (laughs) Yeah, basically. They are sort of the same, but like in different nuances to them. Yeah, you know, I feel like when you look at the definitions, it's like, well, they're different. But then when you just say them together, it's like, yeah, okay, I guess they're about the same thing. You know, they're such vague terms. Phonetically, definitely very similar. Yeah. Fun fact about Manipulus Vocabulorum. Yeah. uh, It seems to be the world's first English rhyming dictionary. English rhyming dictionary? Yes. So... The author, Levins, organized the words by their last few letters, and he said that he did that for the benefit of poets looking for rhymes. So funny. Yeah. I don't know how useful that was, though. (laughs) I mean, I guess for poets, very. I would, like, yeah, that's it makes sense, but... When you stop to take a look at the fact that cavil falls between spindle and couples in this dictionary. <laughs> right, like he didn't even go alphabetical within that. Yeah, not at all. So funny. And like hardly rhyme. <laughs> right. Yeah. Real loose. But I guess somebody found it useful. Sure. I mean, you know, this is how they had to get by before rhyme zone. Yeah, before rhyme zone, exactly. <laughs> So another example of the kinship between Cavill and Calumny, Emily, is in the English cleric John Gauden's 1653 Defense of the Church of England, which was entitled Hierospistes. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I Couldn't was figure say, it does out. that have a meaning? <laughs> no clue. Wow. It's just a it's a nonce word. A it's a nonce word. word. Possibly, yeah. So, Gauden lists objections as the first cavil or calumny, the second cavil or calumny, etc. Oh, he says both every time? He says both every time. So funny. (laughs) I I like both of these words, so I'm going to use them both always. (laughs) And use them both always he did, Emily. (laughs) You can tell that he did by this little section here. He says... 
I find indeed that all after cavils of the anti-ministerial faction arise, not much beyond womanish janglings, presumptuous <gasps> boastings, and uncomely bickerings for the most part, where not religious reasonings, but peevish cavils and pertinacious calumnies do but rally themselves to see what can be done by virulent calumniatings against the ministers of the gospel in this church. Wow. Yeah. Is it just... just- Every man in the world agreed that women were like the highest defenders when it comes to calumny. Because that's so, exactly Emily. what we talked about in the other episode. It really, it really is. It really is. Yeah, you know, it just it gave them something to calumniate about and to, to gripe about. Over. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess we really are multifaceted chimeras. So you truly we're monsters are. in nature. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, speaking of womanish janglings, yeah, the pious especially seem to have many cavilings over the fairer sex. Surprise, okay. surprise. Good. I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> so as with calumny, cavil came from Old French through Middle English. The earliest instance we have of Cavill in English is the 1380 religious tract by our good friend, the philosopher, John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I love this list of recurring characters. I know, right? (laughs) So he, of course, I'm going to read this. It's in Middle English, right? So I'm going to... Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I want to say that I do love reading Middle English because it's like if Congress wrote laws in leet speak. (laughs) (laughs) It's like really self-important, but nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like if a toddler could speak just so eloquently, but spell the way a toddler spells. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in his tract, The Paternoster, he outlines how women must be responsible for keeping their husbands on a righteous path. Oh. Yeah. He says this, and again, I'm going to read this in kind of Middle English E, but not exactly. Yeah. So he says, But thou husbandus hand thus power over his wife's body, natheless they own to use this doing in measure and reason, and somewhat refrain her foul lustus, and not take superfluity of hot wines, and spiced ale, and delicate meatus, to delight him in this occupation. And nay cavillation, nay procurator shall be there, but her own good life to save him, or cursed life to damn him, and fleshly lustus, and gluttony, drunkenness, and overmuch liking and fleshly deedus, making men most to forget this dreadful doom. <laughs> making men most to forget. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so good. Wow. I mean, I don't know if I... Got the full meaning of that, but I loved hearing it. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, he's saying, like, women are meant to keep men on the straight and narrow. And sometimes they're like, hey, let's have some delicate meats. Let's drink some wines. And if a woman does that, they're going to damn their husband. And if they do, if they don't, then your her husband's going to be safe and it's all on her. So she it's just her job to keep alcohol out of the house. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> Cuz otherwise her husband will get plastered. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, women do just love a project. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can fix him. I can <laughs> 
<laughs> sure, he frequently gets blackout drunk <laughs> and streaks through the streets of London, but But if but, I just keep the spice dale away <laughs> He'll be the loving man I want him to be. I, I need him to be. <laughs> or else God will send me to my doom. <laughs> so Wycliffe then lists three specific cavillations that he has with women, Emily. For brevity's sake, I'm just going to read them and see how you translate them. Okay? okay, good. I'm excited. So... One is that they make in sorrow if her children been naked or poor, but though her children been naked for virtues and soul, they charge in nothing. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Got nothing. I think the general bend was clothe your children. Emily, so much worse. Oh, no. He's saying that women are always worried about whether or not their children are clothed and fed, but not worried about if their souls are pure. Oh, yeah. It's truly, it doesn't matter whether they live or not if they're not going to heaven. Right? If they're not going to heaven, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, he's like, they're, they're too focused on getting their kids clothed and fed. <laughs> on that same note, uh, number two, he lists as... That wife is given her husbandus goodest to strong beggars, to getting gim sweet morsellus, and sometimes spend her husbandus goodest about hollerous and lecherous, the while her husbandus traveling fair in grievous travels. <laughs> I like how this Middle English is slowly turning into like Old West. Yeah. <laughs> and wars the dollars. And wars the dollars. <laughs> Wog. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh god. Um I didn't get any meaning out of that. I was trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's fair. So here Wycliffe is saying basically when men are away on travel, women spend their men's money on things uh, yeah. that they shouldn't. That's what I thought it was a spending money yeah. thing. You know, women be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> women be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Getting Gim sweet morsels. <laughs> All right, give me one more of these yeah. capture quotes. Yeah. yeah, here's your here's your third to prove you're not a robot. Thanks. <laughs> he says three. If Almighty God, in his righteousness and mercy, take her children out of this world by fair death, these oh. rich wifes weeping, grutching, and crying <laughs> against God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and axing God, who he taketh rather her children for him than poor menace. See now the woodness of this grutching. Grutching. <laughs> grutching. So grutching, he's Emily. saying like, if your kid dies, that was God's will. Don't Literally. complain, you whiners. <laughs> Literally, Emily. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Truly horrible. Truly just the worst possible thing you could Jeez, say. Louise. <laughs> <laughs> Grutching, by the way, was the Middle English form, I guess, of grudge, grudging, sure. like begrudging. And and woodness there is, I guess, the Middle English word for madness. Gotcha. Well, Emily, let's let's bring it back around. All right. This has a happier ending. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so all is not lost. Some important women were able to cavil back, Emily. Oh, we love a comeback. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Emily, in 1582, The Monument of Matrons, the first anthology of English women's writing, was published. Love it. I know. It's, I can't believe I stumbled upon it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a compilation of prayers and meditations written by and for women. Love it. Uh, Yeah. And one such prayer was written by the Baroness Bergaveni Francis (gasps) Manners. Oh. The prayer that she wrote was called A Prayer to Be Said of the Sick at the Hour of Death. I, hey, someone had to write it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the subtitle. Yeah, the subtitle, hey. <laughs> someone had to write It's like someone the song title with parentheses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With an E for explicit. Yeah. By Fallout Boy. <laughs> yeah, by Fallout Boy. Yeah. So the prayer starts off real nice with some beautiful imagery. She says, In the firmament thou hast placed the glistering sun with his orient beams to give him light by day, and therewith thou hast given him the moon and the stars to govern him by night. Beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Well, Emily, it takes a hard turn. (laughs) Later on in the prayer, she says... (laughs) Let not the caviling adversary, the enemy of mankind at my last end, triumph over me. Yea, and when death is most busiest, when he seeketh most strongly to assail my feeble body. (laughs) Good Lord, that of thy grace and inestimable kindness, hast sent thy son Christ Jesus to ransom me by his bloody death and passion from the power of hell. She really had an axe to grind with Wycliffe, huh? (laughs) She really, yeah, with Wycliffe. (laughs) Another piece that appears in this compilation is an English translation of the French poem Miroir de l'âme pécheresse, which Wikipedia describes as a first-person mystical narrative of the soul as a yearning woman calling out to Christ as her father-brother lover. uh, Sorry? (laughs) I was with you right up till the end. What happened there? (laughs) She's calling out to Christ as her father-brother lover. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought you said. Yeah. Um, can I uh, cancel this part of the podcast? I just, I've, I'm worried that this is a video I saw on a website that isn't safe for work. Um, and no, it's actually very tame-ish. Okay. So the poem was written in 1531 by Marguerite de Navarre, who was then the queen consort of Navarre, which was a kingdom that straddled the border of modern day Spain and France. Okay. I, so I wanted to make this entire episode just about her because she's a lovely woman. But then oh. it would have had nothing to do with the word cavil. <laughs> so maybe let's look forward to uh, some Marguerite <laughs> info in some, you know, after hours content. Sure, 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 sure. But uh, long story short, Marguerite was a complex woman. And in the miroir, which was uh, believed to have been written in the grief after the loss of her son, she expresses some doubt in God. She calls him cruel, and she wonders what? if he really wrote the Bible. What, is she whining because God took her kid? Yes, God. she is, Emily. <laughs> Isn't that just the worst thing a woman can do? It's just the absolute worst, Emily. <laughs> oh, and you know who agreed with that sentiment? Oh, no. <laughs> that would be the theologians at the Sorbonne. Wow. They heard what she had to say, and they said, 
You gave us something to cavil about. <laughs> Get out of here, Kyle. Get out of here. Take your Wycliffe and go. <laughs> what did the Sorbonne say? Uh, so they accused her of heresy, and they summoned her to answer for her misdeeds. Let me remind you, she was a queen. <laughs> oh my god, I did forget that. Thank you for reminding yeah. me. <laughs> and they were like, no, you've got to answer for this. Oh my god. Yeah. One monk suggested that she deserved to be sewn in a sack and thrown <gasps> in the Seine. Oh my god. And the students at the Collège de Navarre wrote her into a play as a fury from hell. Wow. But Emily, Marguerite saw a cavil for a cavil, and she refused to respond to the summons. And her brother, who was King Francis I of France, forced the Sorbonne to apologize to her. I, sorry, just quick aside. King Francis I of France. Of France. Very, I know. Like, that is a character written in a nursery rhyme. Anyway, continue. F is for Francis I, the first king of France. <laughs> he went over to meet King Angle England of England. Angle England? <laughs> Yeah, and Jeremy the German. <laughs> Jeremy the German. He's not king. He's just a sick guy in Germany. Yeah, he's just yeah, just a sick guy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I got well, a little bit of a cold. <laughs> Kyle's rock solid German accent making a comeback. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh. Anyway, what were you saying? <laughs> So, Emily, the retribution for Marguerite did not end there. Though. Oh, no. No, no, no. Her retribution oh, in, against good, the good, Sorbonne. Good. It's, yeah, it. it's good. It's happy. Okay. So, Marguerite, who became friends with the likes of John Calvin and Martin Luther, oh. is believed to have passed her manuscript for Miroir and with it some of her reformist ideologies to Anne Boleyn. <gasps> who may have been a lady-in-waiting in her court. Anne Boleyn, uh, it's future queen? Anne Boleyn, future queen, correct. Wow. So it made its way to from Navarre and France to England. Because Anne Boleyn married King Angle England of England? King Angle England of England, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a happy marriage. <laughs> Well, I mean, it would have to be happier than her marriage to King Henry. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> that um, one didn't end so good. It didn't. Actually, I mean, this is a, as good a time as any. Just as a side note, Marguerite was almost forced to marry Henry VIII. Oh, God. When she was 11 and he was 12. And she would have been the... But, like, the, the king at the time was like, nah, her dad's got a lot of good land. I'm going to keep him here. <laughs> so, And I'm, he, I'm looking at this kid. He's only 12, but I feel like I see a future of, <laughs> yeah. of guillotining for guillotine. this guy. So. It's, it's not going to work out for this kid. <laughs> um, so, Emily, Anne eventually passed that manuscript down to her daughter, who at age 11 translated the work into English as it appears here in the Monument of Matrons. And she dedicated it to her stepmother, the then English queen, Catherine Parr. Sure. Do you know who that 11-year-old girl was, Emily? The, that 11-year-old the... girl was me. <laughs> 
Wow. Happy Ladies Month. Am I Happy right? Ladies Month. <laughs> um, the 11-year-old girl that was the daughter of Anne Boleyn? Yes. I do not. Well, that 11-year-old girl, Emily, would go on to become Queen Elizabeth I. <gasps> wow. Mm-hmm. And this lineage, I, know I know, this lineage of reformist thought traces back to Marguerite the notions of the need for a religious, read Protestant Reformation. Suck it, Sorbonne. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So Marguerite is, Marguerite is like a big... Uh, reason why there was a Protestant Reformation at That's all, and crazy. a Reformation in the in the ch- Church of England. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, to cap things off, Emily, Marguerite is thus inextricably linked to the Reformation and the Renaissance, with the French historian Jules Michelet stating, without cavil, let us always remember this tender queen of Navarre, in whose arms our people, fleeing from prison or the pyre, found safety, honor, and friendship. Our gratitude to you, lovable mother of our renaissance. Your hearth was that of our saints. Your heart was the nest of our freedom. Wow. Ain't that beautiful? That is beautiful. With that beauty, Emily, I ask ye thus. <laughs> Ooh, here we go. Big question. Can you use cavil in a sentence? Can I use cavil in a sentence? I feel or like cavillation or caviling or caviler. Sure, any of wow, cavillation is good. Ah, uh, yeah, isn't it? There's a lot of different versions that I couldn't go into. They're all made up. Cavillous. I mean, all words are made up ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want it to be a good, a good one. You know, you're a lady, Emily. You can't go wrong in Ladies Month. Whatever you do is going to be beautiful. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. That's filled me with with just unearned confidence, which is what I need. <laughs> Boy, my mind is a blank. <laughs> Remember, cavil means to quibble. Yes. No, I got you. I understand. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. Really, actually, here's my sentence. Okay. I am unable to come up with a good sentence because I am caviling at myself at what is a what at what constitutes a good sentence <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that sounds about about right i uh, spend I can... all day caviling at myself is another <laughs> sentence that i could say <laughs> i picture your mind is just a bunch of yous in powdered wigs like parliament <laughs> <laughs> all Screaming and yelling. Like, you yeah. remember that footage of Parliament that we got when Brexit stuff was happening and it was just like bedlam in Parliament? Yeah. That's yeah. what's in my head at all times. <laughs> well, Emily, are you ready for a game? Oh, I forgot. We still haven't done a game. I'm so we excited. We got a game. Good. Your game today is called The Matrons of Monuments. <gasps> I'm so excited. (laughs) So Thomas Bentley, who compiled the Monument of Matrons, included at the beginning what he called a brief catalog of the memorable names of sundry right famous queens, godly ladies, and virtuous women of all ages. Right famous. (laughs) So I'm going to describe to you, Emily, a monument dedicated to one of these matrons. One of these right famous queens? (laughs) One of these right famous queens. And you'll have to tell me who I'm talking about, okay? Okay, I gotcha. I'm with it. 
So I'll give you an example one. This statue, thought to be the oldest outdoor statue in London, depicts England's virgin queen, named as such because this right famous queen never married or had children. I want to say that's also someone we talked about queen today. Queen Elizabeth yeah. I? You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought so. Yeah. Okay, so your first real question is... Well, that one didn't count. Okay. It didn't give us an example. Yeah, we're not Italian <laughs> points yet. The points don't matter. <laughs> this bust, currently in the Gallery of Ancient Egypt at the Royal Ontario Museum, depicts what was first described as the dry, bland, and non-committal <laughs> expression of this right famous queen. I mean, if it's Egypt, it's got to be, mm -hmm. I want to say, Nefertiti? Oh, wow. You know, I was trying to think. I was like, there's another Egyptian it, queen here. Is it Cleopatra? It's Cleopatra. Okay. Yeah, 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 that yeah. was my first guess. And then I was like, maybe that's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that was that was a good guess. I couldn't think of her. But yes, Cleopatra. And we're talking about the bust of Cleopatra in the Royal Ontario Museum. Wow. Um, fun fact, Cleopatra was the only Ptolemaic pharaoh to learn and use the Egyptian language. The wow. rest didn't bother. They just lived in Greece and spoke Greek. <laughs> well, sure. I mean. Yeah. Okay, Emily, your next one. Okay. This statue, currently enshrined within St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican City, depicts this godly lady cradling her dead adult son in her arms. <gasps> it's La Pietà. It's, oh, it's, it's uh, yeah. Mary. I've seen it <laughs> in person. Oh, Emily, I'm so glad. Yeah. Oh, good. Wow, and you knew the name and everything. <laughs> I do. Hey, I took Italian for a few years. <laughs> uh, what was it like to see it in person? I mean, you're just sort of being bussed by with a group of tourists, but, you know, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What, a, what an incredible experience you're describing there. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the Sistine Chapel was more breathtaking, I felt. Sure. Also, Michelangelo, of course, painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, yeah. but he also sculpted the Madonna. He sculpted it as a funeral monument for a French cardinal. Interesting. And the the really interesting fact about it is that statue, Emily, is the only piece that he ever signed. La Pietà? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is fun. I didn't know that. I, yeah. I was shown it in person and I didn't know that fact. N now you're going to have to take that tour again and pick up the statue and look underneath all for the, the way back. <laughs> for the yeah, fly all the way back. Could you show us the signature, please? And then I just fly <laughs> straight home. Me. That's it. Just straight to the statue. Not even with the tour guide, just yelling until somebody helps you. I break into the Vatican at three in the morning. <laughs> Excuse me, I hear there's a signature on this, and I was not shown this the last time I was here. I, I paid good to make lira. A <laughs> good lira? What year yeah, do you I think I you went? went in 1957. <laughs> All right, Kyle, this game is going to take 60 years. <laughs> yeah. You've only you got, got one more. One more. Okay, good. Emily, this statue by the female sculptor Vinnie Reem depicts this ancient Greek virtuous woman contemplating her next lesbian poem with pen and papyrus in hand. Oh, Sappho's? You got it, <gasps> Emily. Sappho. Oh, what a release, Sappho. Sappho, yes. An off-honored figure. She had a lot of statues and, and works of art made in her yes. likeness. I was um, going to say Lesbos, but that's the island. 
Uh, yes, a person. Vinnie Ream, who was the sculptor of this statue in particular, was also responsible for the statue of Lincoln in the Capitol building rotunda. Wow. Yeah. And she was a big proponent, proponent, a big opponent, a big proponent of, <laughs> of, of female sculptors. Everybody, you just heard Kyle's brain short circuit. <laughs> yeah, really just. <laughs> his, his, his android brain had to reset real quick. Recalibrating. <laughs> Fixing opponent gland. I just I just tapped all the dots on <laughs> Kyle's face like a smart board. Um, Emily, Vinnie Reem was a big proponent of women sculptors. And she said uh, at one point that sculpture was eminently a field for women. No one has ever questioned that the eyes are as true, the thoughts as noble, the touch as delicate as with men, and the field of sculpture is unlimited. That meadow of delight is full of flowers to be picked. Wow. Love that. Yeah, isn't that lovely? That is super lovely. And that is, uh, th- that's, that is my, uh, this episode, Emily, yeah. is my devotion to women for I Women's mean, Month. It was a lovely episode. Um, what? It, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you go ahead. What uh, episode are you going to do for me for Man's Month? <laughs> <laughs> wow, really wish I'd cut you off. <laughs> Let's just close it out, shall we, Kyle? (laughs) Let's close out the episode. Hey, everybody, please remember that you can find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you liked today's episode, and I did, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really liked today's episode, consider getting Gim sweet morseless on our (laughs) Patreon at patreon.com slash Butter No Parsnips, donating five dollars or more earns you a shout out either on social media or here on the podcast so thanks so much to all of you you help us make what we make and with that i've been kyle imperator and i've been emily moyers and this has been butter no parsnips Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.